all aboard. Next stop, the Watch If You Dare podcast. This is a horror podcast with your hosts, myself, the coward, Derek, and my co-host, the monster boy, Aaron. And we are a horror movie podcast that kind of is for everybody, specifically those trying to dip their toes in horror. We discuss the fears and phobias in regard to these movies. And this week, we have another doozy for you, another emotionally heavy, dark horror movie. That's like four in a row now, Aaron. <laughs> Yep, another fun one. I was not expecting to get choked up at the ending this time, but I did. (laughs) It happened again. Womp womp. But we are jumping ahead a little bit. So before we dig into the movie, like usual, um, we discussed other things that are horror related that we've been digging into lately in hopes that we can give a recommendation to each other or our listeners. So with that said, Aaron, what have you been getting into lately that's horror related? Since we last recorded, weirdly enough, my wife kind of has like a weird, literally masochistic fascination with the Saw movies. (laughs) And we both talk about it every couple of months because neither of us likes torture porny kind of stuff which okay we we can make the argument that the first movie is not necessarily torture porn but a lot of what comes after absolutely is but neither of us has seen past the third movie Uh, again i bring this up quite often but weird things that my mother let us watch or watched with us that we probably shouldn't have seen at that point in time but i definitely remember watching saw one two and three kind of all in a row we rented those from the video store and on the same weekend so it was just like a lot all at one time and i don't know they were just kind of gross and not my bag when it comes to horror and and heather kind of same thing she like never got through the third movie so we kind of figured okay there's eight of these motherfuckers now and there's about to be a ninth one with chris rock and samuel l jackson so okay sure but we kind of wanted to go back to them and i had the whole collection digitally um it was one of those oh this is on sale for two dollars sure let me pick it up so we watched the first two movies so far the first movie still pretty good i'll I'll still give it that one the acting is not great it is very noticeably low budget um there's like hilarious moments where there's supposed to be like an intense car chase and it's just the weirdest garth marenghi style them in the cars driving really intensely with smoke (laughs) behind them and it's clearly just a car like on a sound stage right you don't actually (laughs) see cars driving down the roads at all but you know i think from a writing standpoint the movie is still like well put together the twist kind of comes in at the right times it kind of keeps you guessing what's going on it did crack me up going back to it and seeing how many character actors are in it that you would kind of recognize now just people like dina meyer and i'm blanking on his name but he was one of the guys from lost that was the other detective partner guy weirdly enough i've been kind of having that same experience but my wife and i have been watching through brooklyn nine nine yeah on hulu and there's a ton of character actors that pop up in there mainly comedians a lot of crossover with it's always sunny in philadelphia which we will return to later <laughs> but yeah it's it's interesting when you watch stuff that you either were not interested in previously or you have been interested but it just kind of never been on your radar and you finally sit down to watch it then you start realizing like holy shit this person's yeah, in this totally yeah shawnee smith from the blob 88 is in saw one she's the girl that 
but survives and she kind of goes on to be in the series more. There's a guy in the second movie who was one of the main characters in Showgirls. It's kind of a wild chunk of character actors, but I will say the editing in those movies is bad. The editing in those movies is exactly (laughs) what you and I have talked about before of that early to mid 2000s. Everything is way over edited. Everything is way too flashy. There's lots of those like flashes of like rapid fire scenes during the editing just it's rough from that standpoint i think you brought it up well in our mothman prophecies episode where it, and granted that was a music video director yes doing it but it has that music has video that quality feel, totally yeah that's that's absolutely what this was like But yeah, like, there were some scenes that were still pretty effective. Like, honestly, in the first movie, there's not a whole lot of gore or intensity in that first movie. It really cuts away from a lot of it, surprisingly enough. I remember rewatching it a couple of years ago, and I'd seen it when I was in high school, and I was kind of half expecting, like, oh yeah, this is a pretty gory movie. And there's surprisingly low-key gore, but not a lot at all in the first movie, which I think makes it better than a lot of the other ones. Yeah, totally. The worst thing in the first movie is when he puts his hand in that fucking gross toilet uh, with all the like sewage poop goop in it. Yep. That's easily the worst part of the first movie but yeah I mean there's still stuff in the second movie like old girl getting thrown into the pit of needles. That scene's still kind of cringy. Otherwise uh, you know I think we're gonna keep going all said and done just so we can like make it through this series for shit's sake but we were laughing more than we were actually kind of cringing and skin crawling. Other than that I also started the HBO miniseries adaptation of The Outsider, which was interesting, really fucking good so far. As of right now, four episodes are out. I've only had the time to watch three, but it's pretty damn good so far. I'm very, very surprised by like how many small details they're getting right from the book or just keeping in in general. Like I appreciate that there are certain characters that have made it to this adaptation and characters that not in just name only. They kind of got a lot of the details about the characters correct. Even though there's like big story differences, like it's set in Georgia now instead of rural Oklahoma. There are little things like that that are different, but all the character stuff is very correct. The performances are great. Ben Mendelsohn plays the main sheriff in the story, and this is definitely like a role that is cut out for him. The whole time I was listening to that audiobook, I was honestly like I was imagining Tommy Lee Jones from like No Country for old men just shit kicker boots and cowboy hat kind of thing but he's maybe a little bit too old for that character but ben mendelson is knocking it out of the park he's great when is he not man yeah really it's such a good actor he's he's pretty much always good i think it's just an issue of he's is sometimes in some iffy movies so he doesn't maybe always pick the best movies to be in but he's usually one of the best parts of those movies the third episode introduces holly gibney which is played by Cynthia Erivo, and she's fan-fucking-tastic as that character. I really, really liked her character in the book. She is kind of a crossover character from the Mr. Mercedes series, which I've not read yet, but I think I'm going to because I liked her character so much. She has kind of this uncanny ability to recall and process all kinds of insane information, but she still, like, can't quite function.
function. She's a PI and her personality is kind of grating to a lot of people. So people have trouble working with her, but she's brilliant. She kind of comes into the story later as things kind of start to get weird. Just for kind of a quick nutshell of the plot for those who aren't aware. It's a small town. A young boy shows up dead in a park, brutally murdered. When I say brutally murdered, I mean like literally chewed apart, kind of brutally murdered. The DNA, the fingerprints, the blood, everything, eyewitnesses, all put this one guy there. And so the sheriff and his guys go and arrest him in a very, very public fashion. Like, he's a Little League coach. So they go in the middle of a Little League game and, like, giant public spectacle in front of hundreds of people arrest this guy for the murder of this kid, right? And so that kind of instantly turns the entire town against this guy and the family, even though he swears he didn't do it. Up and down, he has an alibi. Other people were with him, and he was out of town 60 miles away at a school conference. And... And not only that, and this is all like in the first 30 minutes of the show, so it's not spoiling the series per se. This is like literally the setup. But they end up finding actual news footage of him speaking at the conference at like the same time that the kid was supposedly murdered. So it's this whole like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, the fingerprints, (laughs) the DNA, like everything matches across the board. But how is this guy physically in these two different places, blah, blah, blah. And it goes to some very interesting places but I love that book you know I have not caught up with everything Stephen King has done in the past bunch of years but lots of people kind of say it's easily his best book in a long time but I really enjoyed the book and the miniseries is off to a very good start well I remember doing a deep dive on Stephen King books and the lore that's behind all of them and I remember reading somewhere that I think it was Holly Gibney that character is in multiple books of his as a major character yeah I know she's mostly from the Mr. Mercedes series but I'm sure she's in some other stuff but yeah the the little league coach is played by Jason Bateman and he's also the executive producer of the show and directed the first two episodes but yeah it's off to a very very good start definitely worth checking out I have a feeling it's probably only gonna be maybe six to eight episodes it's not gonna be super long but it's definitely definitely worth the time there's a lot of weird creepy uncanny shit in it um, and the performances are all really really solid so that's all I have for now. What about you, Derek? So actually, I got some news a couple days ago that kind of hyped me up. One of my favorite horror series from back in like, I think it started in 2014 and wrapped up around 2017 was Image Comics' Nailbiter. And it was written by Joshua Williams. The artist was, I believe, Mike Henderson. And I dug the art so much. It has kind of like this weird cartoony style to it. But basically, Nailbiter, what it was, it was a horror kind of almost comedy comic where it's centered around this fictional town of Buckaroo, Oregon, which is such a good name for like a, a small town nowhere. Buckaroo, Oregon. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Buckaroo produced 16 of the worst serial killers in the United States. So there's kind of like this. I remember under- you telling me about this series. Yeah. Yeah. There's this undercurrent that is there something in the 
town creating all these serial killers. It revolves around this, I believe he's FBI agent who captures the nail biter serial killer who his whole thing was he literally chewed off the nails of all his victims after he killed them. But the agent goes missing strangely and then it follows an NSA agent. The guy who went missing was his mentor and this NSA agent kind of goes to Buckaroo looking for him and encounters the nail biter serial killer and they team up in a way that's sort of like a Hannibal Lecter style type of relationship. The series just goes bonkers from there. It ran for 30 issues. It was all solid. It was all great. A little bit of all kinds of horror, you know, slasher mostly, but also a little bit of sci-fi and fantasy thrown in for a good mix. But the good news was that we are getting a new series literally called Nailbiter Returns uh, that picks up right after the events of the original series, which ended in, back in 2017. This new series, Nailbiter Returns, same creative team, Joshua Williamson, Mike Henderson, and they are launching this new volume this spring, and they are basically returning to the town because shit's happening again. There's a new violent copycat murderer going around who's imitating all of the buckaroo butchers. Finch is back as like one of the main characters, and I believe believe in an interview they said that all the characters that from the first series that are still alive are going to be reappearing as main characters again so i'm super excited about that the original nail biter series is amazing as a horror comic uh ran for 30 issues it's been collected i think in six trades and they had one omnibus that collected the first 20 issues i want to say so if you are looking for something to read and you want a solid horror comic this is a good one to go with especially if you're into like serial killers and all the serial killers have like ridiculous gimmicks almost like professional wrestlers there's the nail biter who bites off people's nails there's a luchador who literally killed his victims barehanded with actual wrestling moves and he wore a luchador (laughs) mask like they go all out with this shit kind of wild yeah another one is like called i think her name was like the widow or something like that and she was basically a black widow type of serial killer it's fantastic the whole series is great it's solid horror beyond that i kind of wanted to touch on I I can't remember if I've brought him up in the past or any of these series in the past, but um, as much as we love Cullen Bunn as a horror writer, I gotta admit that Donnie Cates, I I didn't realize, writes a lot of my favorite kind of horror-adjacent horror comics. He also did God Country, which you and I both liked, especially those covers are fucking amazing. But he also wrote Baby Teeth, Thanos for Marvel, Cosmic Ghost Rider for Marvel. The big thing he's been writing for Marvel lately is Venom. Venom is one of those characters where I have a love-hate relationship with when he's written well. I think the best writers explore horror with Venom rather than him just being like cosmic goopy Spider-Man, but he can also be eye-rolly like in the hands of a bad writer or someone who doesn't know what to do with him. Sure. Um, He can be like, you know, 90s extreme. Venom with Tude. Yeah, Venom with Tude and that fucking movie. Fuck that movie. But Donny Cates very much leans into the horror aspect of Venom. His current Venom series, which has been going on since I think July 2018, top-notch fantastic actually one of the better series coming out of marvel right now this is something i will give credit to dc even just within their main dc universe they have always had kind of a healthy relationship with horror between like zatanna and all the all the magic stuff related in the dc seems to kind of like brush up with horror quite a lot whereas marvel's is much more cosmic in nature than horror it's much more like oh Dormammu and you know fucking galactus and the thing about venom the donny cates is venom 
series is it very much brings horror into the fold and it still keeps it true to Marvel's penchant for more cosmic sort of events and I'm not really spoiling anything too much because this happens like very early on but basically explores the god of the symbiotes has started like reappearing and his name is Null okay and he's also tied to Gore the god butcher from Thor so I've always kind of wondered that because the way that Gore looks in those comics with like the drippy inky black but it's more like smoke with gore not necessarily like actual goop but all the like necro stuff with him it yeah, looks like that yeah you know the necro sword that gore has yeah. the necro sword was created by null and it's the original symbiote and null is he's basically part of the primordial like darkness that was there before the universe it's also hinted at that he's like an aspect of satan the true satan not you know mephisto like actual like satan satan sure that's kind of odd yeah yeah and uh it's basically almost this like cthulhu-esque sort of situation going on a lot of eldritch horror that is wrapped up with the symbiotes um which i dig so much i like this idea of the symbiotes being part of like this eldritch monster rather than them just being like goopy space monsters so all that said i recommend donny kate's venom other stuff that donny kate's has done horror related another one is redneck which is coming out of image comics which he is also writing yeah which i've, I've been reading it top notch it's basically a story of vampires it starts off with a story a family of vampires who live out in rural texas and it goes from there i'll leave it at that because i don't want to give away too too much it's a lot of fun it's a good series so yeah anything written by donny cates is usually top notch the last thing i wanted to touch on was and aaron you and i talked about this a little bit before we were recording i have been on and off re-watching like old episodes of it's always sunny in philadelphia just randomly when i'm doing chores or whatever just something to have on in the background well the other night i turned on one of my possibly one of my favorite episodes in the entire series and it's from one of the newer seasons i think it was like season 11 or 12 and it's mac and dennis moved to the suburbs <laughs> and there is actually a surprising amount of horror themes running in it and like it directly like rips off parts of the shining and stuff like that but something i read somewhere that's a good beam and i know nothing about this movie other than who's in it and what it kind of looks like but someone said that the lighthouse is just mac and dennis moved to the suburbs and i <laughs> can't get that out of my head now that's pretty <laughs> apt yeah i would say that that's yeah. very correct and someone was even saying there's a part where like william defoe's character is having this ranting monologue and someone just said that's a ripoff of dennis's ranting monologue and so the dennis monologue and mac and dennis moved to the suburbs it happens like right at the climax of both of them like going fucking insane living in this house and it's it has to do with their neighbor wally hey buddy haven't seen you for a bit. Well, you've probably been staying inside to avoid this uh, heat wave, huh? Boy, it's been hot. It's hot, huh? Yeah. It is super hot. Yeah. It's getting real hot around here. So hot, Wally. But you don't really know what hot is, do you? Hot's a storm. You ever been in a storm, Wally? I mean, a real storm? Not a thunderstorm, but a storm of fists raining down on your head, blasting you in the face, pummeling you in the stomach, hitting you in the chest so hard you think your heart's gonna stop. You ever been in a storm like that, Wally?
You okay, dude? Yeah. Who are you talking to? No one. What's that? Dog grave. Yeah, fucking Dennis losing his <laughs> mind. And then I think later on in the episode, Mac feeds Dennis their dog. Like, in <laughs> mac and cheese. And I love that as the, as the episode's going on and they're slowly losing their mind, they don't know what to do with all the trash. So they're putting all the trash in one room and hanging up fucking car air fresheners everywhere around the house. You mentioned The Shining, and all I think about is that look that Jack Nicholson has constantly throughout that movie where he's slightly tilting his head down but his eyes up and smiling just that like hey jack nicholson look and fucking dennis has that all throughout the back half of that episode yeah, yeah. and then mac has a goddamn fucking joker laugh when he reveals <laughs> that he's fed him the dog dennis because yes they named the dog dennis jr dennis you're eating dennis but uh that episode surprisingly does explore a lot of themes because i i remember like i grew up in new orleans and you know it was suburbia but it was still pretty much city. There was always noise around. Went to college and in Hattiesburg, granted Hattiesburg is a small town, but Hattiesburg, it was a college setting. Yeah, and we lived downtown. Yeah, with the downtown. It was always noisy. People were coming in and out of our house all the goddamn time. Yeah. I just always was around noise. And then, you know, when I moved back from college to New Orleans, I was living basically in downtown New Orleans. And it didn't really hit me until we moved and I lived in a more secluded area that, yeah, there is a little bit of that, I don't know what it is, maybe wonder lust or whatever like when you're out in somewhere that's a lot more quiet than what you're normally used to and you're living in that environment where you focus on the small stuff to an insane degree when i was living in new orleans like you know cars going everywhere beeping and police sirens and shit like that like yeah. i could sleep through that and not it didn't even bat an eye but like where i'm living now if i hear like a branch outside snap i'm gonna fixate on that or everything's more heightened yeah i have the same yeah. issue now because i mean i grew up in downtown Hattiesburg even when I lived there on my own. I lived in downtown, but now like living in the burbs. Yeah, absolutely. Like our dogs bark once outside and the guy next to us is throwing a fucking fit about how loud they are. It's oddly quiet and there's never anything happening. I never see anybody outside. It is just like weirdly still compared to what I was used to all growing up. Yeah. And not that it's not really scary to me. It takes some getting used to, especially for people who have lived in a city most of their lives. For some people that is very scary because you have to kind of almost confront yourself a little bit or you're just more alone with your thoughts i don't know what it is so that is all i've got too for horror recommendations and things like that so with that before we dig into the movie we'll take a little pause for the cause What's up, fellow spoopy people? Are you shopping for horror movie merch to match the fear in your heart? Do you want to show your love and fandom for horror, or are you just looking for the perfect gift for that special mutant in your life? If so, check out Nightmare Threads, your one-stop shop for all things horror made for fans by fans. NightmareThreads.com offers clothing, apparel, and merch for numerous horror movies, TV shows, and other macabre pop culture. Nightmare Threads also has original horror 
car content, articles, news, and more. So you can support us by supporting them. Check out our show's Twitter and Facebook pages for our unique referral link or use coupon code WATCHIFYOUDARE, all one word, no spaces, at checkout to save 10%. So just go to NightmareThreads.com and again, use our referral link or the code WATCHIFYOUDARE to save 10%. Watch horror, love horror, support horror. Shop Sally! Cool. So, uh, like we mentioned earlier, we are doing the movie Train to Busan. It is a South Korean zombie horror movie from 2016. And just right up top, and I probably speak for both of us, we are probably going to butcher these names and the way we (laughs) pronounce them. Yeah. They are all Korean names, and I apologize ahead of time, especially me, because I am terrible at pronunciation, but bear with us. So, Train to Busan is directed by Yeon Sang-ho? Yeah, uh, Sang-ho Yeon. Depending on where you're seeing them or reading them, first name, last names can sometimes be swapped. I don't believe there's a right or wrong. Somebody can definitely correct me, because I'd like to maybe know, but you see them forward backwards pretty much everywhere but yes Sangho Sangho Yen is the director So yeah, the movie came out in 2016, directed by Sang Ho Yin. He actually started in animation, and he did The King of Pigs, The Fake. He actually did a animated prequel to this movie called Soul Station that came out in the same year as this movie. Really? Yeah, but this is his live-action debut, and supposedly this is also the first Korean zombie movie. Which that's, what? Yeah, exactly. Like, as many movies as they put out, you know, the first zombie movie sure all right they are actively in pre-production on train to busan 2 yeah i was i was gonna bring that up later on because i saw that i think the tentative title right now is called peninsula but i don't know if that'll be the title that they actually go with it needs to be something different because i mean how many other trains were also heading to busan it would just be too much of the same and i definitely wouldn't want to see well here's the sequel to train to busan but this time it's on a plane or this time it's on a boat or whatever like you know drop that stick and move on because this world is so wide open you could do whatever you wanted it's interesting because the idea of zombies like on a train isn't necessarily like super super original although i would argue that the execution that this film takes with it is very original but like i mean shit i remember playing like resident evil zero and there's a whole part where you're on a train with zombies but i like the idea of a confined space especially one where you can literally only yeah. go forwards or backwards and you're trapped with this space 
basically force of nature that you have to deal with. Also, too, is this our first zombie-specific horror movie we covered? Because we've other movies we've done in the past have had maybe zombies in it or zombie-like stuff in them, but they weren't like straight-up zombie sure. zombies. Like, neither the comet wasn't really straight-up zombie zombies. Yeah, this might be the first straight-up zombie zombie movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, put it this way, the word is used in the movie at least once. Thank Christ, too, by the way, <laughs> that they actually use it. That is one of those little cliches that I fucking can't stand as when they just don't call zombies zombies and zombie shit. Just call them zombies. Call them what they are. What is wrong? I like it in some instances. I like it when it's just not brought up or acknowledged at all, but when you have a character say, yeah, it's like there's a bunch of uh, and somebody's like, don't say that word. That's not what's going on. Like, when it's that, it's a little bit, uh, you know? And it this movie kind of does that, because the news reporters are like, yeah, uh, a word that's being thrown around a lot, zombies. Uh, let's not jump to conclusions, but at least it's still like, yeah, that's that. And nobody, like, goes against that, at least, you know? That makes more sense. I'm cool with it in this film, because, like, in a world that we're in now, where we still had people denying, like, climate change and shit sure, like that. yeah. That would absolutely be something that would happen in an actual zombie outbreak. Totally, totally. They could literally be having their neck chewed off, and they'd be like, no, it's not zombies, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, this movie premiered at Cannes. This was the first Korean movie to break 10 million viewers at their theaters, which that's kind of a weird way of measuring things, is not... They look at dollar amounts. Um, the budget for this was $8.5 and it made almost 100 but just a weird, like, yeah, 10 million people people went. Um, that's an interesting metric that we don't see in other places. I will say I'm even surprised that it's, I, I say only 8.5 million, that's still a lot of money, but this felt like even higher budget than that, because this movie is... It's huge. All right, yeah. I'm going to straight up say right up top, this might be one of the best zombie movies I've ever seen. I think that's pretty accurate yeah like it's absolutely in the top 10 might be in the top five yeah yeah and honestly this is like one of the few instances where it's a zombie movie that's actually horrifying at least to me because zombies have never been too scary to me at all kind of in the same way as like a slasher or something like that but this movie does a great job let me back up here's my theory and aaron i want you to kind of like add to this and see and this is my own personal theory that i kind of think about when it comes to zombie stories in general the most successful zombie stories in general or really almost all zombie stories in general focus on being comedic and genre bending or being dark tragic and emotional. Tone wise is what you're saying yeah. Yes tone wise okay. I feel the best zombie movies or stories in general lean hard one way or the other. They either lean in to being super comedic and genre bending or lean into being like tragic and emotional and dark. The films to me that don't work are the ones that try and balance both in a manner that is either like unwarranted or doesn't feel sincere. I feel that Train to Busan is very successful by just leaning hard into the emotional heavy darkness while still paying attention to zombies as being like these severe horrifying creatures as opposed to the zombies actually being the butt of a joke. Now, with that being said, there are some movies that are successful in kind of doing that balance act a little bit. That's what I was about to say. Like, I wouldn't write that out entirely because Shaun of the Dead is ostensibly 94. 5% a comedy, but the 5% that is heavy emotional shit. Okay, spoiler alert, this movie's fucking 20 years old now, like, I'm gonna spoil Shaun of the Dead, but when his mom dies, yeah. you know, and when Ed dies, when those characters bite it, it's sad. You feel that on an emotional level, especially when his mom dies. Dawn of the Dead is the same way, the original one. That literally has fucking zombies getting pies in the face and weird satire, but that movie has horrifying shit. 
good in it. So the example I was thinking of that does a great balance act of maybe half or a good chunk of it being comedy and a chunk of it being dark and heavy is that movie, the one you just said, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead, I would still argue, leans hard into comedy. I mean, every zombie movie has to have a degree of horrifying shit happening in it, like even the comedic ones. But I think Shaun of the Dead is so successful and same with like Zombieland is so successful because they lean hard into the comedy and like zombies almost being the butt of the joke. And then other movies that are like this one that are super severe lean hard away from comedy and just in the whole idea that this is a force of nature that can't be stopped. All you can do is run. So that's my argument is not that they can go either or. It's just I think that if a successful one has to focus on one of these themes or one of these tones rather than trying to always trying to balance it. But there could be an argument against that. I mean, Dawn of the Dead is a good balance of that. So one thing that I would say if we're talking about like zombie movies as a subgenre, I think the one thing that does separate the good and great ones from the rest is that good. And this is not new. I mean, I'm not saying anything we haven't heard a thousand times, but the good and great ones are allegorical. There's all like a deeper underscored message within the context of people are eating people. You know, zombies are us. They are not a supernatural entity. They might be supernatural in how they like came to be, but they're not supernatural. They're not monsters in air quotes. They are not the werewolf. They are not Dracula. They are not the Frankenstein monster. They are not the mummy. They are us. They are just people, right? And so I think the best zombie movies always have an underlying kind of allegory to them, whether it's like this movie where a lot of the themes are about class warfare, whether it's, you know, racial themes like you have in the original Night of the Living Dead or themes of, you know, rampant American consumerism like you have in the original Dawn of the Dead or like just age and generational gaps like you have in some newer like the girl with all the gifts you know i think the best of that subgenre have something more that they're saying you know and that doesn't mean that they can't be fun or enjoyable because they're being preachy like these are still arguably like the best of the subgenre aside from whether they have that message or not but that is what really pushes them into kind of that great territory you know it's something that i think and you know people can shit on me for this all they want but i think it's the thing that walking dead has always been missing walking dead takes so many of the tropes but doesn't really have a whole lot of underlying like message to that story it's a very good character study and it's a very good just look at the breakdown of humanity over the course of time and how all these characters change and react to all of that differently but there's not really an underlying like overall message to something like Walking Dead. It just kind of keeps going with the like, these people are adjusting to this new way of life kind of situational thing. I think it's also just too big to like have one thing that it's trying to say though as well. So, you know, some of it's just function of how that story works, but some of it's just the function of, you know, I think Kirkman's point was just, I want to do a zombie story that is kind of the be all end all of all the tropes put together, but there's no real message underneath it, I don't think. In his defense, especially the first half, is very much along the lines of like, I just want to do a good zombie story that just has zombies in it, and that's what he's, he did. In Walking Dead's defense, this is just for the comic, I might add. I mean, I have no idea about the show. I gave up on the show a long 
time ago. But with the comic, it does come back around and very much becomes about family. Family and legacy are the two, like, themes. Family. Family. <laughs> yeah, like, just like Fast and the Furious, it's all about family, dog. Family. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's very much about family and legacy, like, towards the end of The Walking Dead. But you're right. You can find themes hidden in it, but I don't think they're necessarily intentional. They're just more like he, like you said, he wanted to write a zombie story. The one thing I will say, another thing I, I do like, I think that the best zombie movies do or best zombie stories do, and The Walking Dead, at least the comic does this, then I do appreciate is they either need to just leave it ambiguous as to how the zombie started, or if you're going to explore how it did start, you better goddamn make sure it's interesting or like yeah. relevant to the story because I, th- I feel like it's much easier to just leave it ambiguous because that's fine. Like I, I think zombie stories are successful with ambiguity of the beginning of the outbreak. But if you are going to explore what caused it, you better make sure it is relevant to the rest of your story. And something I like about To Train to Busan is that they drop hints as to what might have caused it. But nothing specific. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's very ambiguous. You have no idea what's going on. They basically just say like, oh, a biotech company is responsible dot dot dot. But they don't talk about any of the specifics whatsoever. Well, and then a good example of you knowing exactly where the zombie outbreak started is like the Resident Evil series. Yeah. With Umbrella Corporation. 28 days later, same thing. 28 days later, yeah. same thing. Like those do it well and showing you like how it started and why it started. But not every zombie story is successful in that, um, especially. So that's another thing I, I think quintessential zombie stories need is like ambiguity or an interesting origin. Yeah. But, you know, this movie in general, as far as like talking about like a message, I think there's a lot to unpack in this movie. Oh, which yeah. Is what I enjoyed about it. I mean, there's lots of really cool action sequences and things like that. And a lot of cool technical stuff because they're filming in such a tight space and just having to deal with so many extras and that kind of thing. But, you know, like I mentioned, there are definitely themes of like class warfare because there's kind of a douchey CEO kind of guy who is basically going to like fuck everybody over to like get to safety and there's parenting anxiety stuff from the main character and some side characters as well about like am I doing the right thing for my kids what happens like going forward now that all this shit's happening public violence outbreaks like I mentioned earlier in our discussion like just that weird anxiety of shit could just pop off at any given time and that weird level of confusion that happens where people are all kind of panicking but they don't know what's going on and so people just do what people do and freak out and you just end up having people get run over and trampled and you know run off in every direction because there's just like a weird click that happens in our brains where we just have to get away you know public health scares I mean we're dealing with that right now with this whole Wuhan virus bullshit. All of that stuff that's going on right now is exactly like the lead up for this kind of story. It is very interesting because, like, I remember when I watched this a couple of days ago, I watched the entire thing and, like, that was emotionally draining. Great movie, but emotionally draining. Let me, like, hop on the internet real fast and, like, unwind. And the first thing that popped up is a new story about the coronavirus spreading more. And I was like, oh, fuck me. Yeah. But it is very interesting that, like, this is a very relevant time for this movie. Yeah, totally. And to just, you know, on a more base level, being eaten, being attacked is scary. Claustrophobia for me, you know, is one of those 
those things, like being in a packed, crammed metal tube, essentially. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like good base fear stuff in this, as well as a lot of like those bigger anxieties. So I, I really enjoyed the movie from that standpoint. And even though all the characters are pretty cookie cutter, you know, even sometimes borderline like caricatures, I, you know, there's so many different angles happening with them. They all still felt very sincere. Yeah, totally. They felt like people I could totally see as being real. Yeah. And then another fear and anxiety too, and this is in almost every zombie story, I feel like is fear of the other and not necessarily fear of other races or anything like that, but just fear of other people in general because it very much comes out in this movie to me. Totally, totally. Social anxiety is a huge thing going on in this movie to the point where like you are faced with that tough decision like and something like, do I try and help other people or do I really just try and either save myself or save the one person I care about, like yeah. my family member. Yeah, and on, on top of everything I mentioned a second ago, I think that is the heart of this movie and that's the thing that really brings all these characters together and all the little like subplots together. It's about the whole idea of empathy and the whole idea of like helping other people. You can't just be completely self-absorbed. You have to like get outside of yourself to do right by other people. I mean, we'll talk about it, but like the number one scene in this movie that like hits me the hardest is when the daughter, Sue Ann, gives up her seat to one of the older ladies. Yeah. The older lady's very thankful and grateful and everything and gives her a piece of candy. And, you know, the little girl just like doesn't quite think anything of it. And her dad is like, look, in times like this, you got to look out for yourself. You can't just be nice to everybody. You know, that's not how it works. And her only reply is just to like, remember like, her grandmother in a very like empathetic way, you know, and just like with her being a kid and not having any of that selfishness filter built in like adults do and not thinking in that weird like survival kind of instinct yet like that hasn't quite baked into her brain and she just still sees things like you do right by other people like you do it's nice to other people and that's the heart of the story ultimately and what gets all the way to the end with all these different characters is just you got to like see outside yourself. The movie does a great job of also not necessarily portraying the father as being like a douchebag in that situation because that scene specifically, say the little girl did just do what her father told her and like, you know, they did kind of remain selfish. At the end of the day, it's not necessarily fully wrong. He doesn't say it in a wrong way. Other characters express it in the wrong way, but the dad doesn't expressly like give it to her in the like negative way. But also it is good intentions as well because his good intention is keeping my daughter safe, my daughter daughter is more important than everybody on this train, including myself. You know, that might be more selfish, but that's not necessarily the wrong answer either in a situation like this. Granted, I do think that the daughter and then later on the father make the right choices of being much more empathetic and selfless, especially the father. Yeah. But I don't think the father is necessarily like in the wrong here either. And also an interesting thing to note is that apparently a part of Korean culture in general is just respect for elders. Their respect for their yeah. elders are is much more ingrained in their society than it is here and ours. So it's also interesting that is just shown on screen here, at least to me it was, that you always show respect to elders no matter what. And like the mom living at home with him, that's also a big deal, especially like on on the mother's side. Yeah. Apparently in Korean culture, uh, where a grandparent will come and live with you um, when you're an adult. And you know, just it's interesting to see not only a, a movie well done and a lot of tropes that you do recognize in zombie movies well done, but 
but done in something that isn't necessarily American. Yeah. And that kind of also goes hand in hand with earlier this year with Parasite of like, don't let the fact that Parasite is a foreign film with subtitles push you away from seeing that movie. Yeah. And I should fucking hope that anybody listening to this would be open-minded enough to watch that movie, especially with all the awards consideration that it's getting right now and everything else. It is fantastic. I'm excited because I actually just picked my copy up yesterday and I want to watch it again, but we'll circle back around because there are a couple of links back to that movie. And, and same with this movie. I don't know if there is an English dub of this movie, but if there is, don't fucking bother. Like, watch this subtitled. It's great. You are missing out if you can't watch it without some kind of dub. Because honestly, English dubs are fucking always bad. Yeah. Like, I don't care what you say. Yeah, like, that's that's me being like a world cinema person and you being an animu person is just sub, subs over dubs, like pretty much no, every no. time. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm a dubs over subs guy when it comes to anime a lot of the times but when it comes to live action foreign films no i'm i'm watching it subtitled yeah. like i'm not putting up with that bullshit hurry up kids we have to the point right now no we can't leave yet busan station is still open we should all go there right now the whole nation runs into danger which car car number 13 and please hurry should you stay alive after the tunnel? Yeah, so peek behind the curtain, I guess. We've talked about doing the Rec series, and that's one that I'm probably just going to have to fucking mail you my copy of the Blu-ray, because the only streaming version of that that's available is with destroy the movie for you kind of dubs, so I'm probably going to have to, like, send you my copy when we get ready to do that series. But, yeah, I mean, this this movie is available in tons of places. I mean, it's on Netflix, it's on Shudder, so it's definitely, like, widely available. I'm sure it's on Amazon, too, so you have plenty of opportunities to check this movie out. In terms of horror, actual horror, we've mentioned it plenty of times already, but this is an emotionally heavy movie, and it's a long movie. Yeah. Granted, I didn't feel the length. It's not long, long. It's just under two hours. Just under two hours, but it is emotionally taxing. It's very heavy. It's pretty dark. The zombies, and especially the transformation sequences, are genuinely terrifying. It has, like, you know, the typical, like, tropey zombie jump scares. Nothing like too different or crazy but the horror itself is very much not so much jump scares and more just it's just intensity intensity yes it's all intensity it's all suspense it's all like that marathon of holding your breath that you have to do throughout so many of the scenes where there's tension. I mean, overall, like, one thing that I enjoy about Korean cinema a lot is just how insane the tones kind of jump around. And I mean, this movie has straight-up horror stuff. It has insane action stuff, like lots of fast running around and punching and fighting and moving from spot to spot, but then lots of, like, really slow suspense moments and then like really emotionally charged moments where things just get fucking heavy like you said um, and this movie kind of has all of that so it's definitely like a good roller coaster in that sense yeah for those who maybe like only jump scares or what bother you then this is a good movie to watch otherwise if you're a horror novice all around I think this is a pretty good one because I'll, I'll say this too for a zombie movie it's not very gory I don't yeah. think it's I very mean there gory. there is gore there's still gore but yeah like the zombies all have kind of smeared bloody like faces and their faces are veiny and everything and you see people get their necks kind of chewed on but there's not like extreme Tom Savini like 
Day of the Dead level gore where like people are being ripped in half and guts are flying out. That kind of shit. Like it's not that level of gory by any means. Yeah. And you know what? Fuck it. I'll say it is a good movie to start off with if you're a novice with horror. Get ready to uh, go through the emotions though. Look, for real, dude. I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming. I knew how this movie was going to end. Your boy fucking bawled his eyes out yesterday. Like watching that movie alone at home in the middle of the day on the couch with my dogs. The ending of this movie like got me so fucking hard again, even though I knew it was coming. So yeah, it is definitely like an emotionally charged ending for sure. There is one scene and it's probably, I'll bring it up when we get to it, but there's one scene that I kind of teared up a bit at and it's probably the same part that caused you to start bowling, but we'll get to it when we get to it. So the movie begins, we see a farmer and he's driving his livestock cattle truck into a quarantine area and he slows down he talks to the guys there and he's kind of complaining to the hazmat team that there was a viral outbreak that killed his livestock last time and they came in and like buried all of them and he can't have that happen again and the guys just kind of reassure him like oh no it's fine like everything's gonna be okay and they're like hosing his fucking truck down with hazmat juice this is so many red flags by the way yeah immediately even if like it wasn't like reanimating a dead something just mysteriously killed all your livestock well that happens i mean like viral yeah. outbreaks like foot and mouth disease and shit like that like that that happens yeah that happens but like then you have this company this biotech company that's kind of nearby just show up and be like no no we gotta like burn and bury all your shit now yeah that's where it's like this is weird yeah but the man crosses through the quarantine demarcation spot um and while he's driving down the road he's not quite paying attention and he hits a deer and he gets out looks at the deer it's like ah oh, shit okay whatever it's just a deer gets back in his truck and keeps driving but then we see the dead deer on the road kind of twitch and twist around in like a weird unnatural way where its neck and its legs are all kind of fucked up and it stands back up and it's it turns around creepy. yeah it stands up turns around it's got like white eyes and then boom there's the title train yeah. to busan so stopping right here for a second and this is more of just like a jokey headcanon thing for me so people are omnivores we are carnivorous and we also eat plants so when we are zombified we go straight for flesh like, sure that's the thing what does a deer go for <laughs> yes a deer is a herbivore what does a zombie deer go go for i'm assuming flesh as well then my next question is it's in korea this movie takes place in heavily populated areas like starting in seoul going all the way to busan where are all the zombified animals like where are the dogs attacking people like, i don't know because like if, if this is affecting not only people but this deer for instance i gotta assume all animals are fair game to also be reanimated well it goes back to your question of like what would an animal especially an herbivore go for if it was infected with this virus like do the animals just kind of still chill but now they're zombie animals I, I don't know I mean in Resident Evil the dogs and crows and shit attack you so well yeah I'm sure probably everything attacks you in those games <laughs> yes yes a giant alligator attacks you in two. Oh god but anyway yeah now we are introduced to seek woo which I'm going to say Sekwu. He is played by Yu Gong. I look through everybody's credits, and the one thing I'll say is I kind of picked movies to point out that I have seen, because most of the titles I'm not necessarily familiar with, so I don't really know like what to recommend, but Yu Gong specifically was in a movie called The Age of Shadows, which is about Korean resistance during World War II. It stars Kang Ho-song from Parasite, and it was directed by 
Jiwoon Kim, who did I Saw the Devil, which is fucking amazing. That's a great serial killer horror movie. He also did The Good, The Bad, The Weird, and A Tale of Two Sisters, which is also a pretty good horror movie. I was going to say, Yu Gong, I've heard this name before. Like, I, I'm not necessarily as familiar with his filmography as maybe you are, but I've definitely heard this name brought up before in like talks of just pop culture in general. Yeah. I think the first time I heard it brought up was, might have been Jake from Wizard and the Bruiser talking about how he was digging into random Korean soap opera. I want to say it was like Guardian, the Lonely and Great God was the one he was specifically bringing up that I believe Gong Yu starred in for a little while. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was interesting to see him in this movie and finally put a, like, a name to a face. I really, really like Korean cinema. One thing I do really like specifically is that with it being such a small industry and kind of just a small corner of the world, lots of people have worked together. Lots of people cross over. You see a lot of the same faces and things. And the majority of them are all really good. So it's always enjoyable to just see this like murderer's row of a cast whenever a big movie comes out. But anyway, yeah, we meet Sekwu, and he's a divorced workaholic fund manager, kind of absentee dad, and we also kind of meet his young daughter, Suan, in a minute. Here's another like side topic. And granted, this movie came out in 2016, but remember when we were growing up in the 90s? So many fucking movies revolved around like workaholic dads who just weren't there for their kids. Yeah. Is that just a function <laughs> of the 80s kind of coming and going and all of that Wall Street, greed is good, corporate raider, gotta work, work, work bullshit? And so then in the 90s, you end up having the result of that, all these fucking dads ignoring their kids and their kids get kind of fucked up like think about it liar liar hook jungle to jungle jingle all the way like so many like kid family movies where there's like fucking deadbeat dad there's yeah. hundreds of movies like that I, I honestly don't even think it's a product of the 80s but I also think it's an ongoing examination too because I mean shit granted my dad was there for me I'm not gonna like throw him under the bus here but he worked quite a lot yeah I mean my dad too like he was kind of always there for us but like fuck he worked night shifts at a hospital you know like exactly. he slept in he worked and everyone i knew like all my friends growing up through the 90s and into the 2000s their dads mostly worked i mostly would like interact with their moms if anything so i think it's just a product of that entire i think time i think the difference is like we just both said our dads were there for us our dads like came to our school shit and stuff but specifically yeah. the whole yeah. like oh man dad missed my karate tournament that yeah. kind of bullshit <laughs> that's yeah. so prevalent in all these kind of movies for some reason it's a trope that i kind of miss now because we don't see it as much in movies I yeah. guess it's a fun not a fun trope but it's a trope that I'm just so comfortable and used to I guess from growing up in the 90s yeah that, like I wish I could see it more in movies again but yeah we meet him at his office we kind of learn that they're trying to figure out you know what to do about this biotech company that they have some stakes in and it's kind of getting on the news that there's weird instances of animals dying off and things like that and he basically just tells his little assistant guy like dump all of our fucking stock, sell all of it, get rid of it. And then he also says like, hey, what are kids into these days? Yeah. Well, and I like his assistant's like, all of it, sir? Yeah. 
<laughs> fucking all the dirt. Ditch that shit. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, he goes home and like you mentioned earlier, his mother lives with them and she kind of takes care of the house and takes care of his daughter, Suan. But we then, you know, meet her. He comes home. Turns out he missed her recital. Turns out he got her a fucking Wii for her birthday, which then she turns and looks and there's like literally a Wii sitting on the fucking TV in her <laughs> yeah. room already. Not not even just a Wii. It's a Wii U, which is one of the slip ups of Nintendo in recent memory of not being the best system. But yeah, but yeah, it just shows like how little he pays attention to what's going on. Well, and the whole entire time, she's also kind of doing that kid thing of, I want to see mom. Yeah. And he's just like, well, what about us? Me and you can spend time. Nah, I just want to see mom. Yeah, specifically the daughter misses her mom. And we never meet her mom. We never like find out a name or really anything like that. But we learn that her mom lives in Busan. And we can kind of put the two and two together that they got a divorce because he's just a fucking workaholic asshole. His own mother in these scenes, she's like, yeah, you missed a recital. I took the video of it. She was looking for you during it. His mom even says, don't lose her like you lost your wife, basically. And his mom's even like saying, like, you should try to patch shit up with her and like talk. A marriage shouldn't like go to waste just because of this kind of shit that you can work through. Yeah, exactly. Basically, Suan is wanting to go to Busan on her birthday to go see her mom. And he's trying to come up with every excuse to like go later. I'm busy. I'll have more time next week, blah, blah, blah. And it's really just more like he doesn't want to fucking deal with his ex. Eventually, she kind of convinces him. His mom also kind of like twists his arm a little bit. So they kind of agree like, yeah, let's go see your mom. We'll take the train tomorrow and we'll go. So very early the next morning, it's dark when they're taking the cab to the train station. As they're driving through Seoul, they're noticing like it's there's weird things happening yeah yeah weirdly kind of empty the little daughter sticks her hand out and like sees all this stuff falling down and it's ash and then they look up and there's a fucking building in the distance on fire yeah they're not especially the dads he's like he's not entirely sure what's going on but something feels really off yeah there's a mild jump scare where like he slams on the brakes and there's a bunch of fire engines and police vehicles and ambulances that blast by him but then yeah there's like a weird fire happening on one of the high rises off in the distance as well. So there's like little things like that that are kind of going on that they're kind of noticing. But yeah, they get to the train station. They board the KTX 101 train. When we say trains, these are like those bullet trains that they have throughout Asia that like get you from one side of the country to the other in like an hour. And they even specifically say like, yeah, the train ride is only going to be an hour. Yeah, because he's even on the phone saying like, I'll be back by like 11 or something like that. Yeah. We're introduced to like some of the other passengers during this scene and we'll get more in depth in names and stuff in a minute but we see a man and his pregnant wife getting on we see a high school baseball team getting on with their jerseys and their duffel bags and stuff like that we kind of see this older middle-aged stuck-up businessman kind of guy there's a pair of elderly sisters getting on and as everybody's boarding we see this young woman like kind of in her 20s dash on the train and like dip right in through the doors as they're closing and the attendants don't really notice her get on but she like runs and like jumps right into the train the conductor is literally like turned around yeah looking ahead and she just fucking bolts right past the mine way to go guy you could have saved everyone on this goddamn train if you were paying more attention yeah really but yeah she like eventually locks herself in one of the bathrooms and we see that she's kind of fucked up she's got a bite on her leg yeah and it's kind of veiny 
starting to like spread and she's kind of sweating and getting short of breath and everything else. But she like locks herself in one of the bathroom stalls. And then there's also a homeless guy who is like traumatized. Which that's a good reveal because once the train starts going, one of the characters gets up and is like, yo, like somebody weird has fucking locked themselves in the bathroom and like what's going on? Some of us need to use the restroom. Can y'all go figure it out? And you think the attendants are like knocking on the door and checking and it's gonna be the like girl that snuck onto the train. That's what I was expecting. But then when they throw the doors open, it's a homeless guy who's completely catatonic, traumatized, and all he's saying is just everyone's dead, everyone's dead, everyone's dead. Which, that's not what you want to see when you're on a goddamn train. Yeah, really. The last little thing is right as they're fucking leaving the station, the characters are kind of looking out the windows and Suan, the daughter, notices there's like a weird crowd of people that are all kind of gathered at the top of the station stairs just like looking at something and there's some kind of commotion happening and as the train is like really starting to pick up speed you see like somebody walking on the side of the train just get fucking tackled by somebody else and yeah. the train just whoosh out of the station at that point yeah she's just like uh did anyone else no one else saw that but her yeah that dude gets fucking side blasted there's too. there's like, a lot of good moments of people just getting fucking shit wrecked in this movie <laughs> fucking NFL style like blindsided. Yeah. Here you're right that weirdly happens a couple times. Oh yeah. So anyway the train is now whoosh on its way and again kind of like in the station and like once things kind of start going sideways in the train there's that weird uneasy eeriness of being in a public place like that when shit's happening and you're not really sure what's going on and nobody else is really sure what's going on and there's just lots of like whispering and confusion and indecision and all that kind of thing. It's like anytime like a public shooting breaks out and people are just like, fuck, what do we do? You know, that's terrifying. And I mean, even to like a little bit, I don't want to compare this movie too much to this event because it's very different, but there is a little bit of that degree of kind of reminding me of 9-11 of there was that confusion for a while. Yeah. Especially us as kids before we got the news of like what was going on. And also too, uh, interesting enough is, isn't it the COO, the businessman who was like, there's someone weird in the bathroom and then the little girl who had to use the bathroom or is it the other guy like the husband of the pregnant wife there were two different bathrooms that they were at the like That's COO right. guy is the guy who stood up and is like hey attendant somebody weird is in there go figure that shit out and Suan is standing there next to him yeah yeah his daughter sees the homeless guy who's just whispering everyone is dead yeah. everyone is dead and she wanders to the opposite bathroom at that point and meets the other guy the other guy who's much more like nice yeah <laughs> to her than, than the businessman well is. I love the moment too where the business guy, um, Yansuk, he specifically looks down at a little girl and tells her, like, you need to study hard, otherwise you're gonna end up like that piece of shit. And she's like, that's not nice. And my mom says that anybody who says that's full of shit. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And he just kind of, like, doesn't know what to say to her yeah. at that point. Another thing, too, that is adding to the unease of everybody in the train is that the entire time, there are TVs in the middle of the row of these train cars and the TV is on the news and, like, you're seeing stuff on the news and like people this is lots of phones real in South Korea technology especially communication and phones are a big fucking deal like way bigger than here in the United States they've got nationwide Wi-Fi that's like fucking stomping the shit out of anything we have here yeah and they have a they have a Korean specific messaging service that everybody uses yeah everyone has a profile on it everybody uses it it's like Twitter plus Facebook messenger plus every social media wrapped into one the entire nation is 
phones on it, you know, no matter how old or how young you may be, they're all like on their phones getting the news updates and like quote unquote tweets as this stuff is happening. And there's like a lot of confusion everywhere. Yeah. So everyone on the train is like, everybody's already uneasy. Yeah. Yeah. And something's going on out there while this is all happening. Meanwhile, there are scenes that cut back to the conductor throughout the entire movie and he's messaging the control operator for all the trains who is also kind of weirdly being like you have to go here now we have to redirect you here and not telling him why yeah a lot of the news that keeps spreading is like there's riots happening and not necessarily like oh there's a zombie outbreak a lot of it's just there are demonstrators and rioters happening and people are like closing down this city so there's again like lots of confusion about all of it but things kind of pick up once the girl that we see sneak onto the train, she just stumbles out into one of the main cabins and she is in turning mode where she's starting to get twitchy and the veins are all like completely runned up her like neck and face and body and she's starting to like twitch and jerk in weird ways and starting to make the like kind of zombie noises. Well, and something that should be noticed too is like right at the time of the turning and when she was in the bathroom, she kept repeating I'm sorry over and over again almost like as if she something happened with either family or whatever that or people she left behind i don't know it's very left ambiguous but she keeps repeating the words i'm sorry like why is this happening blah 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 yeah that's an interesting point because we return that a couple times or like at the time of turning people are still aware right up to the last minute yeah emotions and memories pop up and that's fascinating like looking back on it in retrospect what was this girl's story leading to her turning but yeah you're right and the turning scene is scary like this is one of the scarier zombie turning scenes I think I've ever seen. Not just with her, just as this escalates and more people turn. What happens is like, depending on where they're bitten, like if they're bitten in like the hand or the leg, it takes like a couple minutes. But if they're like fucking bitten in the neck and like die from zombies attacking them, it's instantaneous almost. And with her, and when it happens very quickly after this, when someone's bitten and they are turning quick, it's like their body falls down, then they like twitch and they like unnaturally, like the deer in the beginning, unnaturally like twitch and sit back up or stand back up. It's just something so creepy about the way they do it. They're almost like marionettes being brought to life yeah. almost. It's kind of very, uh, do you remember like that time in the early 2000s where a lot of horror movies, like when someone was possessed or something, they do like the body contortion stuff. Like sure. Yeah, walking. There's, there's lots of that. There's a lot of that stuff lots going on. Lots of seizing and twitching and that kind of thing. Like it's kind of like the 28 Days Later rage virus thing where people are constantly just keyed up. It's like everybody's just way, way, way over caffeinated and shaky jerky yeah and it's not like seizures either like this is very unnatural body contortions happening yeah. but anyway yeah the girl that stowed away she falls out in the middle of one of the carts and the attendant rushes over to like see to her and she's calling for help and then of course girl jumps up bites her in the neck starts attacking her and it's interesting because nobody really immediately jumps and is just like the fuck you know everybody's like kind of confused by what they're seeing because they're seeing this girl like literally piggybacking like chewing on this attendant's neck and they're just confused by like what they're looking at and slowly it dawns on everybody like oh shit get the fuck away from what's going on once they see the attendant fall out and she turns and gets up then everybody's like shit get out of here honestly it's a second too late yeah there's enough hesitation where two becomes 
four, four becomes eight. Really like, quick, yeah. Really quickly. Because, like, again, the, if you are bitten, like, in the neck and killed, you turn, like, very quick. Yeah. So you have everybody, like, running to either side of this cart. And people are running toward the front. People are running toward the back of the train. But it's spreading in both directions. And that first big surge that you see where it's literally just fucking people climbing over each other. And it's just this wave of bodies pushing through that cart. It's pretty fucking unnerving. It's wild. There are even parts where you're looking at and you're not even sure who's a zombie yet and who's still a person. Yeah, true. It's just this tidal People wave. People are trampling yeah. everyone, but the turning is happening so quickly that like at least half of them are at some point are zombies. The whole fucking cart is turning like within a minute or two. Yeah. Instantly becoming like a fucking mosh pit of zombies. Yeah. But Sekwu wakes up. He had fallen asleep in his seat and um, he manages to spot Suan, who is kind of on the other end of the cart. Everybody kind of sees what's going on now, so he rushes over and gets her, and they like barely manage to get to the next cart. All the carts have these glass door partitions between them. There's like a vestibule between each of the carts, where you have the restrooms and luggage and that kind of thing, but then there's these big, heavy-duty plexiglass doors between all the cars. So they manage to get to the next one. And we are breezing over that. This is a very intense few scenes. At the beginning, there's still a lot of confusion, but you see like this wave of bodies and like they're now all zombified coming closer and closer through the carts. The entire like rest of the actual people that are still alive, they start rushing and trying to escape. And like, yeah, you said they barely escape. All the characters that we kind of meet initially, they kind of end up on their opposite ends of the train. So you have the baseball team people and the business guy and the elderly sisters. They end up on one end and then with the main characters, you know, Sekwu and Suan get to the other cart and shut the door, but then we meet Sanghua. He's like this big, burly guy, kind of charming, kind of nice. He's my favorite character. Yeah, oh yeah, he's my favorite character as well, He's my too. favorite character in this movie. He has such swagger. Oh yeah. And he's also a fucking badass. Yeah, this guy's great. We meet this guy and think big, burly, like kind of rugged, handsome dude. We meet him and his wife, who's pregnant. Again, Sanghua is Dong Sek Ma. He was in The Good, The Bad, The Weird as well, like I mentioned earlier. He was in this action movie called Unstoppable, and he was in this other one called Neighbors, or The Neighbors, rather, which that one stars Yunjin Kim, who was in Lost. She played Sun, but he is also playing Gilgamesh in The Eternals, so he's filming that right now for Marvel. Really? Hell yeah. Yeah, so he's, yeah. he's about to be in a Marvel movie. I, I am on board for that. Fuck yeah. Also, too, he was uh, Yu Gong, the main actor guy. Uh, he was like his personal trainer for a little while. So anyway, we meet him and then his pregnant wife, Sen Kyung. She was played by Yumi Jung. She was in a movie called A Bittersweet Life, which I have seen. Um, that was also directed by Ji Woon Kim. She was in the newest movie from the director of this one, Yin Sang Ho, called Psychokinesis, which I'm kind of curious to check out now. Yeah. Because I, I like this movie when it came out. I saw it when it came out, but I haven't checked out anything that he's done since. 
But we meet them earlier. The wife is like using the restroom while he's standing outside kind of waiting on her. And he's the one that's kind of chatting with Suan, the daughter. And he's kind of being charming and nice with her. And I, I love what he's like, you see that? I made that. Like, yeah. He's funding his wife's stomach. Yeah. Suan is like talking to the two of them once Sung Kyung comes out of the bathroom. It's a heartwarming scene. And they're talking about the baby. Yeah. But it did crack me up where, yeah, he just points to her stomach and is like, you see that? I made that. <laughs> the little girl also puts her hand on her uh, womb and like feels the baby kick basically yeah. and they're like oh shit that's awesome but anyway yeah they are kind of like the last stragglers trying to get into the cart and they like get to the very end and Sekwu like kind of sort of hesitates to let them in for a split second and then he like manages to open the door and let them in and it immediately kind of causes some friction between them because Sanghua is just like hey asshole like you could have opened the fucking door for us jesus christ like me and my pregnant wife what are you doing you selfish asshole you know and he's basically picking at him and he continues to pick at him throughout the course of the movie because of course too he finds out that he was a hedge fund manager guy and so he's just like oh you stuck up asshole and like it's kind of in like friendly poking kind of way but also like he's still kind of miffed that this dude like shut the door on him and then he waited pretty last minute to finally open the door for him yeah it was down to the wire they had plenty of time like if you just kept the door open then shut it behind them you would have been just fine so as the chaos ensues most passengers end up pushed toward the front of the train or the back of the train and a whole lot of them are zombies in the middle trying to get at both yep well and something too that's really kind of a scary situation is because those doors are mainly windows it seems like plexiglass of some kind yeah you can see the zombies just beating on them and trying to get in the entire time like even though they're not necessarily like making too much progress and they kind of have a second to breathe, you still see and hear the zombies in the back the entire yeah. time. They're all just like scrambling at the door, but yeah. they clearly haven't figured out like how to work the doorknobs yet, like the latch lever thing to open the doors and slide them. They're just kind of piling them bodies into bodies. Yeah. And like something else that should be noted is these are the running type of zombies. Like these are like the feral- like, Fast zombies, yeah. Run at you, tackle you, like fast zombies. They, they are like animals like predators these are not shambling <laughs> kind yeah. of zombies and even the ones like like later on there are scenes with zombies that like are missing limbs and stuff and they are still going as quickly as they possibly physically can at people even when they're missing limbs what's wild is like once all the news stories and social media things start spreading and you see all the videos from other places around the country I fucking love that one shot of some kids just skateboarding in a parking lot and all of a sudden those helicopters fly over and you see the first helicopter has people hanging off of it and the second helicopter is kind of woozy spinning and the people fall off but then they just like splat hit the ground and get right back up and start chasing after people. One of them annihilates that skateboarder by the way too. Another cool thing too, they figure out that the zombies mostly rely on sight and sound. There's no like scent of blood or like anything like that that draws them. The simple solution they figure out just to like get the zombies to kind of calm down once they're all in the cart safely. Sung Kyung, the pregnant woman, she literally just takes a bottle of water and like splashes it over the door and just like smashes newspaper up against 
against it, and it pretty much instantly calms all the zombies down because they're not seeing the people. Once they've caught your scent, they don't necessarily have it even when they can't see you. Yeah. It's very much like as soon as they lose line of sight and they can't hear you, they just kind of like start looking around like, what the fuck just happened? Where are you? Yeah. They're not smart at all um, in that regard, but they are extremely deadly and deadlier than your typical shambling zombie. Something else too is now nationwide, they're reporting some kind of virus that came out yeah. and that the military is trying to like contain it. There's a, a flash of a bunch of text and stuff and tweets and it says like trending word zombie and that's yeah. like the one time which I appreciate it. They don't necessarily need all the characters saying zombie this, zombie that. All I need to know is like the one time the nation is aware that these are zombies yeah. and not okay like that's all I needed. Like just give me the word at least once. Yeah. We also kind of see some back channeling going on because kind of like you mentioned the conductor is getting instructions and updates from Control Central. The COO guy, Yan Suk, which he is played by I Sung Kim. I'm not sure how to pronounce the first part of his name. You're doing you're doing great. <laughs> he was in a movie called Assassination. He is also kind of back channel. Like he's talking to his contacts that are in these different cities trying to figure out what, what city is safe, what's going on, where are they heading to. And then Sekwu is also kind of talking to his assistant who's checking in on things as well in these different areas. But we basically learned that the conductor was told to just keep going through to the next station. Keep going. Don't stop. It's not safe. Just barrel on through, right? And Yan Suk, the COO guy, he's basically all self-important. He calls the conductor and says, you know, do you know who I am? I'm the CEO of this corporation and blah, blah, blah. And I have a contact who tells me like the military's at this next station. Don't listen to what control is telling you. Stop at the next station. The military's there. They'll take us to safety. Fuck you, by the way. Yeah, totally. Even like if I was in that situation as the conductor, like someone who worked on the train like I don't give a shit who you are like our superiors are saying this yeah we're gonna follow like protocol like fuck off you don't know what you're talking about also too is interesting when he because he has a conversation with his assistant like two or three times as the situation gets worse all around the country and like at this point his assistant is kind of like shaken being like something's going on I'm not sure if we're involved or it's kind of our fault kind of freaking out and yeah that's when like he's on the phone with his assistant and I think he has a contact in the next area that's supposed to be coming up like at the uh, Dejon station. He has like a military contact specifically. So he also kind of gets the word from like the military that like yeah we're at this next place. This is also the moment too where Sekwu receives a call from his mother back at home. So everybody's like huddled up in this one cart and he gets a call from his mother and she's kind of apologizing and telling him like you know you gotta keep Suan safe and all this but she's actively turning as she's talking to him and she's getting more twitchy and gargly but she says her final words and kind of goes full zombie and the phone hangs up and Sekwu kind of has this moment where like that realization is hitting him that he's just lost his mother and Suan kind of also like senses what's going on through the phone as well and this is where that moment is that I mentioned earlier where they're all crammed into this one cart together but Suan little girl gives up her seat to one of the two elderly sisters that's on the train one of the sisters says like oh yeah you need to sit down you know you're tired and you know she's like oh but you're my older sister you should take it and suan like gives her the seat and the older lady is you know very great
grateful and gives her a piece of candy and says like, oh yeah, that was a sweet thing to do. Thank you so much. And again, that's the moment where Sekwu kind of tells her like, look, you know, you can't just be so nice to everybody right now. Times like this, we got to look after ourselves. You got to make sure that you're doing what's safe for you, blah, blah, blah. And Suan just kind of responds by saying like, you know, I miss grandmother. Her knees always hurt her. And that's like such a specific thing to mention. After that moment, the one thing you can think about is just your grandmother and this one detail of something that she always kind of suffered with that's now like not a problem anymore for her. Yeah. It's just like a weird moment of kid empathy that hits Sekwu really hard. He has concern for his daughter like when shit's breaking down in the train. He's all kind of action and grabbing her and leading her. But like when he finds out like what's going on with his mom over the phone like he's near breaking down in tears and everything. Yeah. Um, That is like one of the first moments of just fuck yeah. <laughs> with this movie. And again uh, um, yet another like right at the time of turning like time to air out my regrets maybe having some kind of memory going on and that's kind of leading up to something that I'll touch on towards the end of the movie. They pull up to the station. The conductor listens to the COO and they pull up to the station and... This is Daejeon Station. So this Daejeon is Station. kind of halfway between there and Busan, essentially. Yeah. And so they all start kind of walking out and it is very quiet. The station's abandoned. There's loose luggage and shit everywhere. Like there maybe was a large group of people in the area, but they're no longer there. And they're walking around and apparently there's these... It's almost like barriers leading them. Barriers that the, maybe the military put up or something, leading them like to a certain area area like i think it's leading them to the square yeah in the city and as they're walking through the station he and his daughter break off from the group and she's immediately like wait what the fuck are we doing meanwhile he was told by his military contact don't go to the main square go to the east square because it's safe there and that's where we are so they like dip aside from the main group and start to like go in the opposite direction. And all the other people are just kind of hurting their way through the station to this escalator. And Sang Hwan, his wife, kind of like noticed him do this and he kind of rolls his eyes and is like, come on, let's just continue. But the homeless guy follows them. He's yeah. like, no, I, I want to go. Like, you obviously. I heard know, you on the phone. I know. I heard you on the phone. Like, I know where you're doing. Like, let me come with you. And so they start walking down that hallway that's also empty and <laughs> you can see where this is going. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like right at the same time, a person kind of stumbles at the end of the hallway where Sekwu and Suan and the homeless guy are all walking toward that east square. There's somebody kind of stumbled at the end of the hallway kind of muttering. They're calling out to this person. Meanwhile, the main group of people that all kind of herded their way through the station, they're now all going down an escalator. And there is a fucking terrifying moment where as the escalator finally gets low enough, they start to see this massive group of people all kind of huddled together and the lower the escalator goes the we realize like oh shit all these people are zombies and it's and mostly it's all military guys military like, yeah, all like, the military guys got fucking taken out yeah one guy turns around and sees them and then the whole horde just starts rushing the stairs and the elevators as people are scrambling and trying to get back up something that i noticed when the zombie horde in the train car happened and then also here and then throughout the movie and I hate to compare this movie to a movie that I do feel is kind of inferior as a zombie movie but World War Z yeah granted 
the World War Z movie adaptation of the zombies is much more o- over exaggerated. They're almost like ants that like pile yeah. on top of each other and like form ladders of bodies. The zombies don't do that particularly. They just stampede over each other. Stampede yeah. over each other. That it's almost like a wave of people that's a little bit reminiscent of the zombies in World War Z, but not quite. It's just done a lot more realistically. Yeah. But yeah. But it's still terrifying when that mass of people just there's that brief second of wait a minute. Yeah. And they kind of stare at each other. And then the fucking horde takes off. I think the lesson to learn from this movie, too, is don't ever be at the front of a line. Fuck no. And don't ever be at the back of a line. I think that's, like, always the lesson that this movie, like, should teach everybody. Because, yeah, everybody that's toward the front of heading down the escalators and the stairs, those people get fucking annihilated. And so you have this giant chunk of all the survivors on the train trying to scramble back upward. bigger horde, by the way. Exactly. turn, like, immediately. Another thing, too, I was thinking of, like, say I was in that group of survivors in the very first part where it stops in the station, what I would have done immediately is I would have just kept going up the train. I would have gone all the way to the end of the train, like right outside the conductor's room and stayed there. And then like, as soon as the train stopped, I would wait by the train for a second to be like, let's see. Let's just wait and see if the coast is clear. Also too, when the train pulls up to the station, the middle couple of carts are still full of zombie people. They're all banging on the windows like as they're walking out and stuff. It's fucking creepy. Um, the survivors are pretty much just in the front and the back cabins um, and they like manually open the doors to get out so all the zombies in the middle are still there but anyway yeah you have this giant chunk of people that are all running back up the stairs and the escalators and through the main processing lobby right as Sekwu and Suan and the homeless guy like get toward the other guy they see it's like one of the military guys and he's fine right but he's like shook up and all of a sudden he gets fucking tackled again and another (laughs) wave of like military zombie guys start rounding the corner after them and they're like oh shit yeah so now these next scenes are very very hectic it's chaos they all kind of meet back up with the group as the group's running back towards the trains yeah and then zombies start showing up everywhere like around the station the people who are still alive and not zombified all start splitting up just trying to get back on the train cart trying to avoid the train carts in the middle because those are still full of zombies yeah so it winds up happening and granted the entire time this is all happening people are getting taken out left and right yeah and there's also a group that's trying to keep shut these glass barriers that the military set up so th- there's like a group that's holding back a bunch of zombies while everybody else is running down the stairs to the platform again trying to get on the train and it's Sekwu actually is one of them this time right yeah yeah he finally is stepping up and being a good guy and being empathetic and trying to like make sure everyone else is safe before he is well specifically too he kind of gets tackled for a minute and fights off a zombie like the homeless guy like actually runs by and just throws a coat on that zombie and it kind of disorients yep. it a little bit and so he manages to get out and and Senghua is like holding those glass doors and he lets them in and kind of has this moment of, you know, see, I didn't like not hold the door for you, motherfucker. Like, yeah. I'll let you through. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, they're holding the doors as everybody else is trying to board the train and you have everybody kind of split up again. So, well, and I like too that he got, uh, Sekwa got a military like riot shield and a baton. Yeah. And a baton. So he's like holding them off with that and beating zombies with batons. Throughout the star movie, he's either like straight up fucking 
fucking like punching the shit out of them. Yeah, zombies like and like snapping their necks and shit, or he's beating them with batons. This dude's a hard ass. Yeah, but ultimately, Yan Suk, the like COO businessman, the cheerleader for the baseball team, Jin Hee, which she's played by So Hee. She's a member of a K-pop group, Wonder Girls. She's kind of one of the other side characters that's, that's featured. Fantastic! I didn't know that. Yeah, and then one of the elderly sisters and like all the staff, right? They all end up toward the front of the train. The pregnant woman, Sung Young, the homeless man, the other elderly sister, and Suan all end up locked in like a bathroom mid-train area surrounded by zombies. And then the baseball player, like the main baseball player that we're following, Young Gook, who's played by Woosik Choi. He's kind of like the featured baseball player that we really kind of meet at this point in the story because all of his other baseball team gets fucking annihilated. They all have their baseball bats out and they're beating the shit out of zombies as they go, but they all get fucking taken out. Because, yeah, as soon as they get back to the platform, a glass window that's above the platform just bursts and all these zombies just pour out and start piling onto the platform. Basically, all the baseball team gets taken out, um, except for this main guy. Backing up a little bit, too, uh, (laughs) there is, like, a little bit of a uh, subplot in the beginning before shit really hits a fan when you're just being introduced to all these characters as they're boarding the train. There is a subplot between him and the cheerleader. It's like a reluctant romance thing. They're all kind of teasing him about it. Yeah, because like he's all shy or acts like he's like, oh, I'm not interested. And she like sits by him on the train. It's kind of cute. But yeah, there's definitely a reluctant romance. But then they like are in it for each other. Like once the rest of the yeah. team gets fucking killed. But yeah, didn't he have a role that actor, uh, Cho Shik? Isn't he in Parasite? Yeah. I remember reading um, that's that. That's what I was about to say. He was in Okja, Bong Joon-ho's Netflix movie. But then he's also the son in Parasite. And he's fantastic in that movie too. So yeah, he's kind of the main featured baseball player character. But him, the burly guy, Senghua, and Suk Yu, like, all end up at the very back of the train. And, like, the three of them were holding off all the zombies, and they are running and trying to get onto the train as the train is already taking off. And Youngguk and Suk Wu, like, get on the train, and Senghua is running alongside it. And there's a moment where he, like, dips off to the edge a little bit, and then just whoosh right back on because he like smashes these other zombies coming the opposite way and it's a great camera move because you just see the zombies chasing him you don't necessarily see the ones that are also coming from the other direction until he like smashes back into him again he fucking plows them too like drills them but he manages to get back on the train so now they're all split up so you have these three groups and the conductor again is like all right we gotta go to busan and he's like talking over the intercom system but he basically tells them like we gotta head to busan there's a quarantine zone there that's been established so like that's where we are heading definitively so the three guys that are all at the back of the train basically say like fuck it we gotta get to our people but we gotta go like through five carts worth of zombies basically before they go to the next cart they basically gear up they like take their outer shirts off and jackets and wrap them around their like forearms and tape them they get like some tape out of one of the baseball bags and like wrap themselves up 
something I love about that scene too and like the way they like kind of almost armor themselves up they don't say why like they don't say like oh you know zombies might bite your forearm or your legs if you're not careful yeah. or your neck they just do you it just know like, what they they're just, doing yeah they're doing it to protect from bites to the forearm and stuff like that I like that small detail like you don't need to tell me that you can just show me exactly that. the audience is smart enough to understand that but they like grab baseball bats out of the duffel bags they've still got the riot shield and the baton and they kind of decide like alright Sun Hua's like I'll get at the front and I'm gonna like fucking plow my way through and then Young Gook is like in the middle and then Sek Wu is at the end right anything that fucking comes in the back take it out so they smash their way through the first car fuck up the like handful of zombies that are there it's a small group yeah and get to the next cart and then they're like oh shit this is a bigger group and that's where like as soon as they pass through a dark tunnel and these are like really long tunnels by the way all the zombies kind of instantly become disoriented because it's dark now and they can't see and the tunnel kind of cuts out a lot of the sound so they're all just kind of like twitchy and weird and they notice that like oh we can just kind of walk past them and so that's kind of what they do they just like sneak past this first group they like throw a baseball toward one end of the cart and it draws all of them while they're kind of hiding in the chairs and they like sneak past a little bit and then they like slide a cell phone all the way to the other end of the cart and make the like ringtone go off and that draws Awesome. So they kind of notice like, okay, cool. The, the darkness from the tunnels helps, right? One of them pulls out his phone and like maps it. He maps the train. Where the tunnels are, yeah. The tunnels are on the train track so like they can time it when they're going to and they realize that they only have two more chances or like one more chance yeah. in terms of tunnels. Otherwise, then they have to wait so many miles. Yep. So ultimately, they end up making their way to that middle cart. During the time when they're going through the carts full of zombies, isn't there one full of his players, his uh, friends and stuff that are on the baseball team. Yeah, they do get to one where the baseball players are. And he, he kind of has that moment of truth kind of scene where he's very reluctant, like yeah. uh, the other two are struggling with the zombies and he's in shock because his own he's seeing his own friends as zombies. Yeah. And finally, like, gets it together and helps them beat off the zombies, like <laughs> beat off, I didn't mean to say like that. <laughs> but, you know, uses baseball bat and cave in some zombie skulls. Yeah. But eventually they get to, like, the vestibule in between carts where everybody is hiding in the bathroom and, and I love the moment where he Sung Hua like opens the door and his wife uh, Sung Young like sees him she doesn't make like a oh my god thank god you're here she just makes like a angry like fuck you and she like hits him and he just kind of goes like ow <laughs> but he, yeah. he he's like mouthing it trying to be quiet I just I like that like Charlie's just ow you hit me <laughs> yeah. yeah at this point um, now that they're regrouped right all of a sudden, they come out of a tunnel, and the lights are back on, right? And the zombies kind of see them, so the three guys, like, lock themselves in the opposite bathroom stall, and just kind of sit there to wait things out until the next tunnel. Well, and I think the baseball player winds up calling the cheerleader, or something, or like he texting does, her and yeah, saying, like, while they're in the bathroom, we're making our way through, we're about to get to your cart, just make sure that the door is open so we can get in, yeah. and then slip in, and we're doing well. And then she relays that information to not the conductor, but one Just of the, the trains. Just the rest of the group. Yeah, like, oh yeah, my friend's coming. They saved a couple of people. They're heading up here. And of course, the COO overhears this and like flips out and is like, no, they're probably infected. That's impossible for them to make it through like five or six carts full of zombies. We can't let them in. And she's like arguing with him. And finally, he's just like, hey, look to like one of the workers on the train. He's like, this is your train. What are you going to do about this? We need to make sure they don't get in here. Yeah. And while they're in the bathroom and waiting for the next time, 
tunnel, it's kind of going back and forth between them and the and the COO being this asshole and barking orders at everyone. And finally, like the group in that train decides, fuck it, they're on their own. We're gonna use our clothes and tie shut the door so they can't get in. Yeah. Keep that in mind as we're going on. Also, fuck that COO. He's such a douchebag <laughs> in this movie. But yeah, the other group. Once they get to the next tunnel, they, like, sneak their way out of the bathrooms and start making their way through the next couple of carts. There's even one moment where they end up climbing up onto the luggage racks that are running the length of the carts. And they're basically just kind of all shimmying past all the zombies below them. Because there is a fuck ton in this cart. Yeah. Too many for them to try and fight. And they're just throwing things off the luggage racks toward the back to, like, draw the zombies toward the noise. One by one, they all, like, get down and into the safety of the vestibule. The homeless guy, as he's getting down, slips and makes some kind of noise, which kind of immediately stirs the zombies a little bit, and he just ducks below the seats. I think he accidentally, like, steps on something and then slips or something like that, yeah. Well, that, that happens the second time, yeah, like... Yeah. Sick Wu, like, goes to get him, and they're like, you know, shh, be quiet. And right as they're, like, kind of sneaking back out from hiding between the seats, the homeless guy, like, steps on a Coke can and, like, crunches yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. And that, like, throws the zombies off, and they all start storming. But they, like, get into the safety of the vestibule. This is, again, where they're now basically pounding on the opposite vestibule, trying to get into the safety of the other group's cart. And the other group is just like, no, fuck you. We're not letting y'all in, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, they're holding off the horde of zombies that got shook up by the coke can crunch. Senghua is holding the door by himself while they're all like pounding trying to get into the next door and eventually Young Gook takes his baseball bat and is just smashing the door. Yeah. So he's trying to smash through whilst Senghua is like holding the other door and this woman reaches her head through and bites him on the hand. Yeah and he like pushes them back in with his hand and yeah. that's when he gets the bite on the arm. Yeah at that point he kind of knows I'm fucked and he tells all of them like just go I'll hold them off as long as I can and he he makes a sick woo be like make sure you watch over like don't let her out of your sight like stay with her yeah his pregnant wife and he like also like tells her what he wants the name of their child to be yeah because that was a thing throughout the movie of like what they want their child to be and it's a really rough scene because this guy is in nothing but a badass this entire movie and here he is even in death he is being a hard ass like he's holding off the zombie horde by himself giving them time to break in through the other door because the people in the cart in front of them are being assholes and trying to barricade it and he selflessly sacrifices himself to give them enough time to finally break open the door and yeah. get in to the cart. But yeah, everybody makes it through at this point and Sun Hua is just like getting tore up by the zombies. They're all like chewing on him and he's holding them all back single-handedly but eventually you see him turn and he also becomes full zombie and the horde just kind of overwhelms him. But the whole rest of the group manages to get in except for one of the elderly sisters. She, like, also doesn't make it. She's just not quick enough. And her sister sees her through the cart and all the chaos that's happening. And she was kind of the one that, like, wasn't really putting up a whole lot of fight with the COO and all the other screaming people on the survivor cart about, like, not letting the other group in. But she's kind of just sitting in her seat and staying quiet. But she does see her sister bite it. And right as the door gets shut. So, quick question. The door that they the survivors actually barricade, is there a second door? Yeah, there's there's a door on each side of the cart with the vestibule in between. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they had just barricaded the Smashed first the door. first one. And then just the second one's open. Yeah. The cart. And the second one is the one they close behind them that's holding off the zombies because the first door is destroyed at this point. Yeah. But yeah, the zombies are again right at the door just pounding on it as all the survivors uh, in the first cart start getting in an argument with baseball players, Siwoo, Suan, and the pregnant wife. Um, I'm sorry. I can't keep track of all their names. <laughs> and the homeless man. And the pregnant wife is fucking like bawling. She just lost her husband. All these people are just being such, I mean. It's all kind of being ring-led by the COO, but he's like, fuck them. They're all infected. They can fuck off. And they all kind of agree to, like, isolate them. But all the other people are going along with it, too, now. Well, and Sekwu, at one point, punches the COO as soon as they get in the, the door. He's like, if you if you would have just let us in, he would have lived. Like, more people would have lived. We yeah. would have lost him and the elderly sister. Like, fuck you. And the COO is, like, terrified of him. And basically, I was like, oh, see it in his eyes? He's infected. That's why he, he punched me. Like, he attacked me. And that's when they decide that like, they're going to exile them. Which, it's funny that they decide to exile them to the cart in front of them. Because it puts them further away from the zombies. Yeah. I mean, exile is that bad, I guess. Yeah. They just push them forward further and, like, make them stay in the vestibule in between the next cart. But, like you said, it puts them, like, further away from the zombies, conveniently enough. Yeah, good idea, CO guy. That was fucking brilliant of you. But, yeah, and I don't know. It's hard to say, like, how you would act in this situation. Like, if you were one of the survivors that was in the cart already with the CO was getting everyone worked up, would you be part of the rabble, like, trying to tell these people to get the fuck out? Or would you try and calm things down? Like, it's hard yeah. to say what you would be in that situation because, you know, there's also that, uh, I forget the name of the phenomenon, but uh, there's that phenomenon of, you know, fear spreading through a crowd of people and it can cause even the most rational people to, like, forgo their morals and their rational thinking to be part of the rabble rousers. Well, one fun thing, too, is while Sekwu is talking to his assistant, one term that keeps getting thrown around, which this is definitely, like, a stock market term, investing kind of term, but they keep saying the word lemmings. Just people, like, all kind of grouping together and out of fear, like, dumping stock or whatever at the last minute. So that is kind of also tying into the background in the same way. Just people all grouping together and having that, like, herd thought, all running and grouping together at the same time or making the same kind of decisions, even if it's the wrong decisions. Yeah, and something we should note, like, I mean, granted, we hadn't mentioned it, like, once or twice already, but the back and forth between Siakwu and uh, Burly Guy, again... Senkwa. Yeah, Senkwa. He's throwing jabs at Sekwu about, oh, you're the 1%. <laughs> you're a bloodsucker, yeah. You're a bloodsucker, you don't worry about us hardworking people like me, and and it's interesting because Sekwu might have been, like, the COO at the beginning of this movie a little bit, but not fully, like, the COO. Like he the wasn't COO quite was, to that point yet, yeah. Yeah, the, the COO is fully selfish, fully out for only himself, and he's able to, again, like, kind of force this, what looks like a normal group of people into a mob that he uses as a bunch of pawns, basically. Yeah. But yeah, there's very much that, like you said at the beginning, that classism feeling. The main group of survivors that we're kind of following, once they're into the next vestibule, the doors are all shut. We see that other group starting to tie up the doors. So they're tying up the door that the survivors have now gone past, which conveniently enough happens to be to their benefit because the other sister, she gets up and has this moment where she like walks toward the other end of the train where all the zombies are and she's talking to her sister and she sees her now zombified sister and you know she's kind of telling her like yeah you always were trying to do good and always were thinking of other people first and blah blah and look where it got you you idiot and she's like crying while she's saying this yeah. like, it's a very brutal scene the thing also too that leads to like just how emotional the scene is there's a nice shot 
shot where when she's talking to her sister through the glass, even though her sister's a zombie and all the zombies around her sister are like banging on the glass, her sister who's a zombie almost still looks kind of confused, isn't necessarily like trying to get at her aggressively, but just kind of like looking around like with this glassy stare in her eyes. So it's not like she's trying to like attack her sister yet. Yeah, but none of the other people in the cart notice her walking in the opposite direction toward the zombies because they're all trying to like tie up the doors. But yeah, as she gets to the door, Yansuk, the CEO guy, like looks backward and is just like, what is that crazy bitch doing? No. And (laughs) she opens the fucking door and whoosh, all the zombies pour in. And all we see is the other side of the vestibule where the survivors are, just all these people slammed against the glass. And it's like frosted glass, so you can't see it, but it's just people getting slammed against it and blood and people screaming and freaking out. Yeah. Way to go. You actually- survivors are just like, yep, all right. So they they got what's coming toward them. Um, Which they get fucked over in their own hubris, like of them locking the other people in the other vestibule, like they can't get in now. Yeah. They'll get ripped apart. So by y'all being shitty and exiling them, you actually save their lives. Yeah. So Sekwu, like while they're all kind of in the safety of this last vestibule, and this is like the last cart up to where the conductor is, he has been trying to call his ex this entire time. You know, and every time he tries to call her, like her phone is off. Like it just goes straight to voicemail, basically. So he tries to call her again, again, no response. But then his phone immediately rings and it's his assistant again. And his assistant is like more and more desperate every time he calls, like you mentioned earlier, just the more information he's finding, the more he's freaking out. But he basically like reassures him like, yes, Busan is safe. The military has led a successful pushback there. So make sure that you get there. That's where the quarantine zone is. But then he also tells him like, oh, by the way, we're finding out that this entire outbreak is due to the fault of this specific biotech company that their firm has the majority of stakes in. So he's like, fuck. Are we directly responsible for this? Did we cause this? How fucked are we? Oh God, oh God, am I responsible? Like, you know, am I somehow like the cause of all this shit happening? So like, you know, he's freaking out because he's now got this guilt. You know, we are directly tied to the company that caused all this. Oh fuck. The phone hangs up at that point and that's that. So Sekwu is just now stuck dealing with that realization, but it's kind of good for him because it kind of has that fuck it. You know, what have I got to like worry about at this point? You know, all the like work shit and all that stuff has kind of gone out the window so like it's all about my daughter now yeah yeah. Um, well and it's interesting too because in that conversation with, even though you can tell Sekwu is having a ton of guilt as well you're, the only guilt you're hearing is through his assistant and his assistant like basically is begging Sekwu like for forgiveness or to ask him like is this our fault like is this our fault and Sekwu does the only thing he can do in that situation just tells him no it's not your fault Yeah, don't worry about it it's not your fault and then, oddly his assistant on the other side who's like crying kind of calms down something He's like, thank you for telling me that. And yeah, then they hang up and he's just kind of sitting there racked in guilt over it. Yeah. So all of a sudden the train like kind of not slams to a stop, but starts like really aggressively slowing down. Everybody's like, wait, what the fuck's going on? And we kind of see the conductor in the cabin and they're arriving at the next station, which is East Degu Station. But there is like a giant flaming train cart tipped over in the middle of the tracks and all these other trains in the train yard kind of along both sides all lined up so they're effectively stuck so he pulls the train to a stop and they kind of decide like all right look the conductor is going to get out and he's going to go find another train in the train yard and he's going to pull it to like the far side of the tracks on the left side 
y'all get out, make your way that way, and the conductor will like meet us there with the new train. So the conductor goes off in one direction, and the other survivors head toward where he told them to meet up. And it's again, it's oddly quiet. There's a pretty clever jump scare because the conductor first goes up to one of the trains that he wants to move into the position. It's immediately like jump scare of like the conductor in that train is zombified and like yeah. hits the door, and he like falls over and he runs over to the other one train that's empty and that one's safe and then that's the one he decides like pull up to where the survivors are supposed to meet him yeah and they keep walking by other train cars in the yard that have people in them but they're all zombified you know they keep like finding these little pockets of people that got stuck in their trains and again the zombies like as soon as they realize they're there start banging on the glass and everything yeah we also learned that Yansuk, the coo guy and the main train attendant guy they actually survived the massacre in their cart by like hiding in the bathroom. Yansuk peeks out, sees a zombie, and then he's like, yeah, it's safe. Let's go. You go first. And the guy's like, okay. And fucking immediately Yansuk throws the guy into the zombies that all start attacking him and he like runs out. That sucks for him. But at the same time, like the minute that the CUO told you like, oh yeah, coast is clear. You go first. should have been like, like, fuck you. Fuck you. You go first. I don't trust you. He manages to also like get off the original train and he's making his way through the train yard while the other group of survivors is walking along the tracks all of a sudden like way out in the distance the conductor from like his vantage point sees this like runaway train engine on fucking fire just blasting through the train yard at full speed and the group of survivors like feels the ground shaking around them and all of a sudden this cart swings around a corner way too fast and slams into all these other cars and tips over and like kind of sandwiches between everybody and splits them up. Yeah, blocks their path to the the new train car where the conductor is at. Also kind of pins them. Yeah. The cart is like leaning against another cart and they're trapped in the middle. Yeah. And it's a really dangerous, creepy situation because the cart that they're pinned under. It's on fire. It's on fire. It has windows. It's full of zombies, yeah. And the zombies are banging on the windows right above them, like right in their face. Yeah. The car Fuck. is almost tipped over. So the windows are like facing downward. All these zombies just piled on top of the windows, like smashing the glass. The base Baseball player Jungkook and Jin Hee, the cheerleader, they kind of get separated. Like the trains kind of like smash between them and like split their groups. They start making their way through the cars. They're all parallel, so they literally keep having to like open doors and run through the carts to the other side and then out to the next side of the tracks. As they are making their way through one, one of the doors won't open. And sorry, Young Gook is like trying to smash the doors with the baseball bat. Jin Hee is like standing in the train cart. And he's making progress. Like yeah. he's getting the window to break with his baseball bat. Yeah. And all of a sudden, fucking Yan Suk, who's running with all these fucking zombies chasing him because Douche he didn't bag shut, COO. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> shut the fucking door on the last cart that he escaped from. He's now being trailed by all these zombies because there were no zombies in the train yard. Again, they were all stuck in their carts, but now he's got all these zombies chasing him. If he would have just shut the fucking door, yeah. there would have been no zombies out here, yeah. He runs 
Robinson jumps up into the cart, grabs Jin Hee, and just fucking throws her at the zombie that's chasing him. To like, just yeah, like he did with the last down. guy. And so, of course, she gets bitten on the leg. He pushes like the baseball player out of the way, runs through the, the door that the baseball player just broke. Yeah, because the baseball player, like, he turns around and like tries to help Jin Hee, and the CO guy again just picks up the bat and starts trying to smash through. Yeah, and so he runs over to her, like pushes the zombie off her, closes the door behind the zombie leaving it outside and he's holding her realizing that she was bitten and the COO gets out of the cart keeps running and he sits there holding her crying and he knows that she's to me at least he knew she was turning and he didn't give a fuck at this point yeah they kind of Romeo and Juliet this shit she turns in his arms and he lets her like kill him at that point yeah so the train conductor gets another locomotive started and on the correct tracks and he's starting to head down the tracks to where he was going to meet them and he spots Yan Suk running across the tracks being chased and he kind of gets tackled by some zombies so the conductor because the, the train's not moving super fast at all at this point yeah, it's very slow right now he jumps out and goes to help Yan Suk which again being a good guy rookie mistake to help the douchebag yeah yeah he immediately just like says fuck it kicks the conductor to the zombies third person yeah third <laughs> person now third that he's fucked over he's just to slow down zombies so he like hops on to the train and makes it on and just kind of looks back as the zombies are like attacking the conductor. He's now on the train, closes the door, and he's almost home free. He's basically like making his way towards Busan at this point. Yeah. And again, the train's going like real slow because it hasn't picked up speed yet. Like it's it's cruising slow enough that you could kind of fast walk and hop on still. Meanwhile, Sekwu and the rest are like trapped between one train and the train that's like kind of about to collapse onto them, right? But he manages to kind of find a way out underneath the carts. There's enough of a ditch divot kind of thing that he can crawl out. Yep. So he crawls through and right as he's calling to the rest to come, the train, a big chunk of it collapses and separates them further. So he's trying to push all that shit out the way. And then all of a sudden smash, you know, the windows break on one end and all the zombies start flying flooding toward them and the homeless guy to buy time picks up a bar and like yeah to buy time like blocks the zombies and is pushing back with this big metal rod and the whole time through this movie like the homeless guy isn't a bad guy but he's also just always terrified of these zombies like just yeah. trying to survive at this point now he realizes like well fuck it I don't want the zombies to get this little girl and this pregnant woman I'll buy time so he yeah uh, he puts up that bar and he knows he's fucked yeah because like, he's telling them just get out just fucking get out it's over for me Sekwu is able to push the debris out of the way pull them out and as he pulls them out like the homeless guys overrun and then the car falls down and i guess crushes all of them yeah like the zombies and the homeless guy as yeah. they as he pulls out suan and but then there's still a shit ton of zombies that like pour out the other side and start <laughs> yeah. chasing everybody now if you had to die in like a heroic sacrifice like in a zombie way this is the way to go because you're then instantly crushed and i guess put out your misery <laughs> probably so yeah but they run towards the locomotive that's finally starting to like pick up speed a little bit and they hop on little by little this giant wave of zombies from all directions all these zombies start running toward that locomotive and it's gaining speed but it's still going slow enough a couple of zombies get their hands on the railing and they're being dragged and other zombies are piling on top of them so it's this human wave of zombies that's being pulled from the back of the train yeah. there's like a hundred people like all piled up hanging yeah. off the back of the train 
getting pulled along. And there are some zombies that are starting to like crawl above the others that can get onto the train. So yeah. Sekwu starts fighting them off and like trying to bash off one zombie's hand that's holding the whole group together. Not beat off the zombies. <laughs> bash it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, eventually they like knock this giant weird like hangers on like cape of zombies off the train. <laughs> but that's such a cool image of when it shows the cape at the end. Like, yeah. Again, this part is a little bit reminiscent of World War Z with but again, it feels more natural than those zombies did. But there's like 200 people all piled up <laughs> yeah. like ants just hanging off this train, just being drug across all the gravel by this train. Like think about all the people on the bottom of that pile that are just being like shredded by all that gravel. <laughs> anyway, yeah, they they now are like on the locomotive and they're on like little railing along the side. They go to make their way to the cabin. And as soon as they open their door, who's there? Oh shit, Yansuk, the douchebag COO guy. And he is on the verge of turning because he got bit. You think he's kind of stumbling with his foot, but he got bit somewhere along the way. Yep. This is kind of reminiscent going back again to like the point of turning and like hallucinating or seeing things or having memories because the whole time he's just like, you know, please bring me home. I just want to go home. I want to see my mother. Like he keeps bringing up his mother out of nowhere, which is the first time you ever hear him. Yeah. Having any sympathy for anyone other than himself. And the whole time he's like begging them, like, take me home to my mother. It's really, well, I don't think it's like sympathy. It's more just you see this guy who's been like, oh, Mr. Big Shot, tough man, COO. So True. Important. Yeah. And literally the last thing on his mind is I want my mommy. Yeah. Now nah, that's a good point, actually. Um, but yeah, it's again, like another your regrets come to you full circle right at the end. And I don't know if it's it's never in, explained if it's like part of the virus, what it does to your brain or anything like that. It's just but everybody seems to have that moment of like emotional clarity all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Like that life flash before your eyes sort of feeling that you get before you die. Yeah. And like there's another kind of like nice jump scare here because like he starts mumbling and trailing off and he's standing there in front of them and his head dips down for a second. Like he nodded off to fall asleep and then like it's quiet for a second. His head snaps back up and he's full zombie now yeah. and then instantly rushes at them. But yeah, Sekwu fights him while they're kind of brawling like on this narrow little walkway railing kind of along the side of the locomotive engine to the cabin. They're fighting alongside of that and eventually while they're kind of wrapped up, Sekwu gets bit. He eventually, like, wraps some chains around himself, and he just kind of heaves his body and Yansuk, like, both of them together off the side of the engine, and Yansuk, like, you know, falls off. Um, and he pulls himself back up with the chain. At that point, he knows what's happened, and he pushes Suan and Seungkyung forward toward the engine room, and he goes in, kind of looks at the controls, shows Seungkyung, like, how to operate the train, like, here's the break you know when you get there pull it stop and meanwhile suan is like bawling like she is screaming crying because she knows what's happening yeah and yeah. he basically locks them into the cabin he like says goodbye she's hugging him and just bawling her eyes out like crying screaming you know and he says his final goodbye shuts them in the cabin as she's banging on the window screaming calling for him and he stands at the very back end of the locomotive and like you said he has this emotional moment moment of clarity where like he just 
calmly like resigns himself to like what's going on but he has this moment where all he thinks about is holding his daughter for the first time and it's very ethereal the memory too because it shows like when he closes his eyes like you can see the veins leading up to his face are starting to turn that weird color like yeah so it's reaching his brain basically as he's zombifying and in that final moment like yeah he has a memory of holding her as a baby like when she was born and it's very white like everything's in white he's smiling glowing yeah yeah it's almost heavenly and then yeah he just like with a smile on his face he throws himself off the train but the way it does is it cuts and you just see a shadow fall off the train but he does it with a smile on his face this was the part where i teared up a little bit when it flashes that memory of him holding her as a baby i was like oh god this fucking movie it's tugging at my heartstrings so bad yeah but eventually suan and seong kyung you see the train like just the front locomotive piece going through all these different areas but eventually they get to this tunnel that's blocked off and there's barricades and dead zombies all at the front of this tunnel right at the edge of busan right as they get to the city so they like pull the brake and slow the thing down stops they get out and start walking toward the opening of the tunnel because what the fuck do you do you know all these zombies are definitely like dead they're all like scorched and burned and like all over there like is, these barricades there's a few that are still twitching yeah yeah there is a, like one little small jump scare where like a hand right by the front of the camera like twitches for a second yeah and makes a noise um but yeah they start walking through the tunnel just because they can't even see in front of them like you almost see the darkness of the tunnel swallow them as as they walk past the barricade yeah but there's like a big long tunnel that they're going through and we see on the far side of the tunnel there's a bunch of military snipers that are all like there keeping watch on everything and they see the two of them like coming up the tunnel but it's dark so they can't confirm like are they infected are they not well and and they're walking very slowly because they're in shock and survived this crazy event and yeah. like lost people that they loved they're kind of stumbling as well yeah. yeah it's almost like a little bit shambly so the guys can't tell if they're infected or not they they think they might be but yeah their commanding officer basically tells them like fuck it if you can't confirm it shoot them but just as the guys are about to like pull the trigger they hear suan singing and she's singing the song that she was doing at her recital that sekwu like went back and watched the video that his mother recorded she starts singing the song but then like stops when she kind of like looks around and realizes that her dad's not there and all the rest of the class laughs at her and is making fun of her but she's now singing the song we hear it's aloha oi and she's singing that and all the guys like realize like oh yeah they're not infected because they hear her singing so they all rush toward them and kind of start bringing them to safety that's the moment that i fucking lost it is just her singing that song like fucking bawling her eyes out crying at the same time holding the hand of- holding the hand of sung hyung as well but yeah they like make it out of the tunnel and the military guys come and get them and then boom there's the credits and the last shot is her of her face singing the song with tears coming down her eyes and yeah she finishes the song and then it goes the credits yeah yeah so it's a pretty like fuck this is emotional type of ending so yeah that is train of busan one of the best again i will reiterate one of the best zombie movies i think i've ever seen way heavier than i was expecting it to be yeah 
I really, really dug this movie when I saw it a couple of years ago. I liked it just as much, if not more, the second time around. You know, I think there's just, again, so much to kind of unpack and take with you, ultimately. Even if it's not beating you over the head with what the movie is trying to touch on. It's exactly. just kind of all there, and you can take away whatever you want. And I'm so glad uh, I was a little worried, and I should have known better because of how smart this movie is, but I was a little nervous they were going to, like, zombify the pregnant woman, and we were almost going to get, like, a Dawn of the Dead remake baby zombie. Yeah, I'm glad nothing like that happened. We're like, I was like, I don't want that. Yeah, pregnant woman just becomes fodder for zombie kill. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that she she and the little girl are the survivors. And again, like, it's a very somber ending and it, the whole movie is full of violence and darkness, but there's that little glimmer of hope right at the end where, like, she and the pregnant woman survive and make it to safety. Not that downer endings are bad. Like, they are good, especially in the context that they can be. But I'm glad this movie didn't have a completely downer ending, like, of just everyone dying. Like, I'm glad that there was that hopeful ending where they get to live on, basically. Yeah. And, yeah, this would be a movie I would show to anyone who thinks horror and especially zombie movies can't be art. This genre is not artistic. Fuck you. Yes, it is. Like, this movie made me more emotional than most dramas I've I've seen. And it's a fucking zombie movie. Like, that scene of him holding her as a baby before he, he sacrifices himself to make sure they're safe. And then her, yeah, singing at the end in tears, like, Jesus. That's what I like, too. Again, going back to Korean movies, just being able to balance tone so well. You have these insanely emotional moments, but then you do have, like, moments of pure horror. And then you have moments of just, fuck, yeah, action. Like, right as you think Suan is about to be just tackled and taken out by this zombie, all of a sudden seeing Sanghua, like, just fucking shoulder check this zombie out of nowhere and save her, you're just like, fuck, yeah. Yeah. And again, like seeing the three of them like storm their way through and him that just first punching, zombie cart, just them beating the fuck out of these zombies. Dude, yeah, when he's just punching zombies and like breaking their necks, like that's so yeah. badass. So this movie does like an insane job of like giving you that entire roller coaster of emotional impact and having like a little bit of everything to it, but in a way that makes sense. And again, that's just so hard to pull off, and it takes a lot of very specific skill to be able to balance all of that in one movie, but there's just something about Korean movies where like they do it really, really well in terms of giving you a little bit of everything in a way that's very, very satisfying by the end. Yeah. But yeah, like I I dig this movie, like it a lot, definitely interested in what the sequel does ultimately because this world is just so wide open for whatever you wanted to do in whatever direction you wanted to take it in. I'm really happy that especially, you know, I'm sad it took this long, but I am happy that Parasite is bringing Korean film and Korean films in general I've seen to become more and more mainstream over the past yeah, 10 or so years. There's always like maybe one a year that pops up that grabs people's attentions yeah. but Parasite's kind of the biggest one that's happened in the last couple of years that's like really been a crossover hit. I remember like in 2009 like The Good, The Bad, and The Weird was like a big hit too like yeah. globally not necessarily just in, in Korea but uh, I am excited now for us going forward to explore more Korean horror. It's so different from American horror, European, or even just Japanese horror. Like, yeah. It's such a different way of doing tone. And they, like, you're right, they handle it so goddamn well, better than most other horror movies I think we've watched. I'm excited to, to see what else you have in store for Korean horror. I know we talked about, like, doing The Wailing. I think that's a Korean horror movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Wailing, Tale of Two Sisters is also good. There are way more, like, Korean crime thriller 
thriller kind of movies and just like thriller in general than there are like horror movies straight up but there's so much good shit like there's lots of good Korean action movies tons of good Korean thrillers again Parasite's fantastic Memories of Murder which is Bong Joon-ho's earlier movie is amazingly good I love the shit out of anything Park Chan-wook Stoker Thirst all of his stuff is really good so there's definitely like a lot of stuff to check out and the great thing is most of it's fucking available on streaming really easily like yeah. there's there's a lot of Korean horror stuff that's available on oh and I'm fucking totally skipping over like Old Boy and the Vengeance yeah, trilogy yeah. and shit like that like there's so much good stuff but luckily a lot of it's available on streaming I forget that Old Boy is Korean yeah um, yeah yeah you're right and I'm excited to see these actors and actresses and other stuff whenever we explore more Korean horror or even seeing them pop up in American movies like fuck him showing up in Eternals has got me so hyped to see him in that now as Gilgamesh that's awesome yeah. I can't wait to see what he does in that role but yeah good time definitely one that y'all should check out again readily available on streaming right now so definitely give Train to Busan a spin absolutely so with that once again we are the Watch If You Dare podcast we are a horror movie podcast for cowards and fans of horror alike I am Derek that is Aaron you can find us at Watch If You Dare on Facebook and Twitter you can find our show at Podbean Apple Podcasts Stitcher Google Play Spotify Castbox I think that's all the ones all the players we're on right now you know if, if we find ourselves on other formats we'll be sure to list them in the future but that's what we got so far y'all support has been killer actually at the time of this recording we are very close to being over 10,000 downloads which is crazy Jesus uh, yeah and uh, that might just be for what Podbean is showing I don't know if Podbean factors in all of the stuff or just like Apple either way yeah big thanks yeah. to all listeners definitely thanks for the support so we might be past 10,000 by the time this episode drops actually we probably will be past 10,000 so thank you ahead of time so much for all of your support that's been awesome so uh, yeah that's all I got. What about you, Aaron? Uh, I don't really have anything for right oh, now. Thanks to your brother. Yeah, definitely. As always, thanks to my brother, Jesse Mansfield, a.k.a. Party Gator, for the music bumps at the beginning and the ends of every episode. Um, check his stuff out at Bandcamp. Um, look up Party Gator and all of his other little associated acts. So definitely give him a listen. But yeah, beyond that, that's pretty much it for this week, y'all. Hopefully we uh, don't get overtaken by the new upcoming virus that's spreading through the nation the so-called sally virus it's hitting y'all choo choo is that what i think it is all sally's aboard choo choo sally sally